go into it expecting things to be controlled and that that we have like, that we have you know this ability to to shape the race and sometimes you get these curveballs you know like man our bodies are weird and they sometimes do weird things that was sarah true this is marnie salop Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I'm super excited to connect you with today's guest, Sarah True. She is a two-time Olympian and Ironman triathlete. As you can imagine, there's lots of triathlon talk happening on this episode. Sarah and I sync up about all things triathlon, from her journey into athleticism, the Olympics and Ironman, the successes and challenges along the way, triathlon strategy, nutrition, the benefits of indoor training on a bike trainer and treadmill, and more. While we are talking mostly about triathlon, this conversation is about so much more. It's about determination, focus, and mindset. Whether you are a triathlete, a runner, a yogi, or listening for empowering career inspiration, you are going to love this episode. Also, we did record this episode remotely. It's not our usual real-time audio. But again, the conversation is so captivating, you probably won't even notice. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the list of Marnie on the Move podcasts on your app. Click on Write a Review. Share what you like about the podcast, your favorite episodes, what inspires you. Thanks for tuning in and all your great feedback on the podcast. I appreciate your direct messages and questions on social. Keep those emails coming with your Ask Me Anything questions. Tell your friends to listen. Email them a link. Post it on your social platforms. And don't forget to tag Marnie on the move. Spread the love. Now, on to the episode. Tell me what happened this weekend when you were racing the Ironman Cairns. So I went over to Cairns in Australia. And so it's tropical Queensland. As you can imagine, very hot and humid. And coming from New Hampshire, coming from a very cool, rainy spring, such as we've had in the Northeast, uh, I realized that I I don't tend to do very well in the heat. So being a smart, prepared athlete, I went over early. I was there for about two weeks in advance to try to acclimate because that's something that, you know, if you're coming from cool weather, you need to make these physiological changes so you can be able to race well in the heat. It's actually, the science behind it's really interesting. We can get into that later. But, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm ready to adapt. And for two weeks, with the exception of two days, it was cool and rainy and overcast. Oh, my God. So imagine my surprise when I get to race day and, you know, it's high 80s and 80% humidity and sunny. And I'm just watching my my heart rate just kind of skyrocket on the bike, realizing that, you know, I, I have to do everything right. I have to manage my effort because knowing my history with the heat, um, you know, I want to make sure I get to the finish line. 
Right. And I'm just watching it go up and up and up and gets to run. I'm trying to manage my pace and I'm starting to feel the heat a little bit. You know, for, for me, it's less about, I, I really notice with elevated heart rate, I start to get chills sometimes. I, I've actually had heat stroke in races before and I have blacked out before. So one of the things that happens is your, your brain learns that this is an okay way to manage basically getting your, your your core temperature up too much, it's okay to just black out. So here I am running, uh-huh. and I, all of a sudden I hit the ground. I was out for probably 30 seconds. I guess I was unresponsive. You know, I was, I was really fortunate because there was a, there was a physician who was, in the spe- who was one of the spectators nearby, so she was there right away. You know, the, the medical team was there right away, and it's it's incredibly disappointing. You know, you try to do everything right. You're really well prepared. You're ticking all the boxes, you know, before this event. And then just something that's kind of unforeseen. You know, the, the day before I was wearing a jacket and jeans. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it just happened that that was an exceptionally hot, humid day. And my body was not prepared for it. You know, it's it's that's part of sport. We go into it expecting things to be uh, controlled, and that that we have well, that we have uh, you know this ability to to shape the race. And sometimes you get these curveballs. You're know, like, man, our bodies are weird, and they sometimes do weird things. And you <laughs> so don't even know it's going to happen. You have no idea. Now. Yeah, well, for for me, like I said, unfortunately, so basically, your your brain has an internal thermostat, and the ultimate goal for your body when you're overheating is to protect your brain, because um, you know you can do serious damage if you get your your temperature up too much. That's when you start uh, actually you you could do long term damage to your brain cells. Um, so, you know. Just what that internal thermostat is, how your, your body interprets those signals, how what kind of danger you're in. Um, it's all very individual, and it can be shaped by by your history in the heat. So and, and so you already so you know how to manage it, but there's no way to stop it. But it's something that you're looking for when you're training in the heat. Yeah. So for for example, and and like I said, I I'm you know I'm from New England. So I'm, Right. I'm not a, a hot weather person, um, but what I've learned is that I need to go someplace warm in advance and make those physiological changes. So basically what, what happens is it takes about two weeks for your your body to um, activate basically the, all of your sweat glands. And right. you get like you get microcapillaries um, that just kind of pop up around your sweat glands basically you know you're turning you're turning your sweat glands on but it takes it takes a while to be able to do that so it's uh you know normally about two weeks and i've learned you know last year i I went to the iron world championship in kona and if you know anything about this event other than the fact that it's a whole bunch of you know crazy people doing triathlon around you know hawaii is that it's hot and it's humid and it's windy. So I went into this, you know, I went to to Kona knowing that those were the conditions I'd be faced with. And I am not great in those. 
So I was over there kind of for about five weeks before the race, uh, just trying to, you know, optimize whatever physiological changes I can make. Um, and, you know, for me, I had a really good hot weather race. And, and that's, you know, we, we all have this range of, of ability, um, you know, where where we flourish, I guess. And right. my, my ideal temperature is probably, you know, 60s um yeah no if i could take anything that's yeah that's what i i would not pick you know 80s in humans that's so funny and so i mean so did you what made you decide to do that race was it just was it was there something about it that really attracted you to go to do it even though it was so hot well it's it's normally not that hot it was this combination of the two weeks leading in were abnormally cold and the, the race day itself was definitely warmer on the scale of, of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I knew that I can race in the heat if I get adapted, but I wasn't able to do that. Right. And also you just you get thrown this curveball of, okay, this day is hotter than it was supposed to be. Right. Um, and there's nothing. Just based on historic trends. Yeah. They're entering winter there. Right. Wow. And so how often, how usually for a race – does it depend on the weather how and the timing and the sort of, you know, climatization that you will go down like a certain amount of time before you do the race? Like, is there a set time that you usually allocate for that or? Uh, you know, if, if it's an important race, you know, the, this race, just the timing was really good. You know, we, we felt good about the course and it just picked all the boxes for us. For Ironman events, you can only do a couple a year. Right. So if I'm going to do a couple of year and they tend to be hot, I'm going to make sure that I train, you know, in that climate if I can. If you're coming from a similar climate, obviously you don't need to do that. And then you can do heat adaptation without being in those conditions. So that, that generally is a lot of indoor training sessions. Um, you can get some physiological response from uh, doing sauna or a hot bath after you've gone for a run for example so your 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 core temperature is already up and you're just kind of trying to extend that high yeah so there there are things you can do to heat train even if you're in a cold environment but it, it generally takes a couple of weeks of very diligent and adaptation right i understand you can prepare and strategize for the conditions and then it can completely change in a way you would never expect we went to austin to do the 70.3 and we thought it was going to be hot and it was freezing yeah freezing yeah 30 degrees I was so I'm the opposite of you I want to be hot but I don't think I want to be that hot but like I like you know (laughs) we did a race this weekend and the water was 70 degrees and it was like perfect temperature and you know and the perfect temperature for running for me is like 70 degrees all of that right that's nice (laughs) I mean and I'm on the east coast too so you know it's it's we're in New York so it's doesn't get very hot until July, August. So we went down to Austin and literally had to go to Target and buy all these like cheap, inexpensive like shoes and jackets. And we weren't prepared, but at least it happened before we got on the course because we were able to prepare. But the water was like a sauna because it was so cold out. But yeah, that's so that's so crazy. I was reading your posts on Instagram and I was like, oh, my God, I felt so bad. 
So now you have another race lined up in Frankfurt, right? That's your next. Yeah. Yeah. To to back up, I think I was yeah. at Austin that year. Oh, there really? Was, <laughs> yeah, it was two years ago. Yeah, and then they um, canceled it. So this is what happens to me. Every time I do, I only do 70.3 distance. And every time I do yeah. a race, like they cancel it that year. So I've done Timberman like three or four times. And I loved that race. So you're in New Hampshire. I'm sure you've done that race. Yeah, I haven't. I'm actually really sad that it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, my God. That lake is amazing. Lake Winnipesaukee. So we did that race, then they canceled it. And then we did Austin. You were there that year. That's That was funny. It was crazy. Oh, it was funny. I was so cold. I almost, I almost dropped out of that race about 10 times. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't because I ended up winning. But we were all just borderline hypothermic. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Watching watching pro men just pull off the side of the road and get uh they were they were flagging down cars to drive them home or drive them back to transition. <laughs> so I did that's so I didn't even know that that was happening because I was yeah, uh, yeah I mean I was probably <laughs> yeah, freezing off on the side. I I just remember one of my one of my podcast guests who's a marathoner was said to me you know, she does the polar plunge every year in New York. And she said, "It don't ever take off your shoes. It's a rookie move. Like, until you get in the water. So I was literally wearing ski boots on the grass, waiting to get, like, Ugg <laughs> ski boots to get in the water. But it was fun after the fact. When did you start doing Ironman races? Yeah, I, I did my first one last year. So right. I've, been, I've been doing triathlon for years and years and you know all along i said oh this iron man stuff's kind of crazy who who would do that but then part of me was also a little interested and then i basically woke up one morning and i'm like i need to do this i i it's such a huge part of our sport so you know everything kind of comes back to Kona Ironman and just it's such a it's an integral part of the sport and I felt like if I didn't do it then like my story in sport wouldn't be complete and so I I did I did my first Ironman last year in Frankfurt and I qualified for Kona and I went to Kona I had a good race there and I'm going back to Frankfurt you know now that I wasn't able to do the full Ironman in Cairns. And yeah, hope, hopefully it gets me back to Kona. We'll see. So where did your journey into triathlon begin? Growing up, I was I played all kinds of sports. I really enjoyed swimming. My big sister was on the swim team. So you were, yeah, you were a competitive swimmer before you yeah. got into triathlon. Right. So, but I, you know, I played soccer, I did little league baseball, you know, just every sport, you know, small town kid. And I definitely watched the NBC broadcast of Ironman growing up. And it kind of, it lodged itself in the back of my brain where I thought, I can swim, I can run, I'm, you know, bikes are cool. Uh, someday I'm going to do this. And I didn't realize until years later that this thing that I'd been watching as a kid they had shorter distance races because obviously if, if you're young, you're not going to jump. Well, I, I, if there's anybody listening who's thinking that they want to do their first triathlon to be an Ironman, I highly discourage <laughs> that. I would, I would recommend starting yes. with sprints in Olympic distance. Um, I'm sure you can back me up on that. Yeah, I think our <laughs> sport is not one of those like weekend warrior to uh, long distance race type thing. <laughs> you would be surprised. Really? 
Oh, you my were, God. Oh, yes. I have met people who've never done a triathlon. They've never really done any swim training. They sign up for an Ironman. And oh, my God. I can't. I cannot even imagine because it, it took me it took me years to get brave enough to do that. <laughs> and you know I've 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 years and years of triathlon in my legs. So yeah, basically um I reached high school and I I did a couple of, I found a couple of sprint triathlons. You know it was it was quite a drive at that point. Um you know there are more and more races popping up every year. So I'm sure in central New York there are more. I had to go to Massachusetts to do my first one. And I did a couple more in college. When I graduated college, basically I told my, for whatever reason, I was a competitive swimmer in college and I didn't feel, you know, fulfilled athletically. That, you know, I, I was only competing a few months out of the year. I felt like, you know, there was something I still wanted to do, achieve athletically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, this triathlon thing, I've done a few of these. Let's see how far I can get. And honestly, it was that. So I, I, I totally committed myself to just seeing, let's give, let's give, I'll take two years, you know, I'll do some odd jobs on the side. I just want to see if I can be any good. And it turns out that I was pretty good. I'm still doing it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, and you've been in the Olympics twice. I mean, when did you get recruited for that team? Like, like how did you go from swimming I, in college to yeah. doing triathlons to then competing in the Olympics? I didn't get recruited. Now, I, I know that the, the U.S. has had a successful program of identifying talented athletes and fast-tracking them. Right. I was a slow-track athlete um, who self-identified. <laughs> um, yes. I, yeah, You're actually, so funny. Early in my, well, like, you know, I think it's important for people to know their different paths to athletic success, and for some of us, it's a little slower. I basically... I kept on doing these IT races and I was pretty close to making the Olympic team in 2008. And that was a big surprise to me because I, I went into that year just wanting to make Olympic trials. And that was, that was a good wake up call in terms of, okay, I have four years to make it onto the team. Now I actually believe that I'm capable of that. So I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, I got a lot more serious. I, I, you know, found a coach who could help me get there. And, you know, 2012 made my first Olympic team. Um, and backed up in 2016. And then after 2016, I realized I was done with the whole living out of a suitcase, traveling around the world doing those races. Um, you know, I, it was fun, uh, but it was definitely exhausting. So it was, What's great about the long stuff is you can only do a couple of races a year. The rest of the time I'm training, which I love to do. Uh, I get to spend, you know, actually get to see my husband. Right. I was going to say. Actually see my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle choice for sure. How many, so you're doing two to three races, Ironman races a year. I'll do, I'll do two. Well, this, I'll hopefully only do two and a half Ironman races this year. Um <laughs> Well, I guess I guess I got through I got through a third of the run, so okay. let's let's just say that was uh, probably I don't know four fifths of the race. I think <laughs> all the miles count. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> well, I certainly got my frequent flyer miles. Yes. Um, although that that's not my airline, so I didn't even get that. Anyway, so I'll do I'll do those, and then I'll do a couple of half 
Ironman races as well because it still takes a lot out of your body, but it doesn't take as much as an Ironman. So I, I find that it takes a few weeks to fully recover from an Ironman half Ironman, you start feeling better after about a week. Yeah, I did the Connecticut 70.3 about three weeks ago. And for an entire week after I couldn't walk, I was, yeah, I actually, (laughs) luckily, I went to one of my friends and invited me to a class with this woman, Lauren Roxburgh. And she has like all this whole concept around the fascia and foam rolling tools and a sphere and you know all these really amazing exercises that she calls movement medicine and I was able to walk after I took her class like I don't know the exercises were amazing I mean she has this ball that rolls out your psoas which after the race in Connecticut it was you know 4,000 feet of climbing and then I don't know like 800 on the run which I actually walked the last mile. I've never done that yeah. in my life. It was so hard. <laughs> but I loved yeah. it and I would totally go back. But, you know, I would definitely train differently. <laughs> but yeah, Come so... hill repeat. <laughs> yeah, I, I've identified a hill of the same size. I also have a treadmill studio locally. So I will be oh, yeah. working on those hills. What 70.3s are you doing this year? My entire plane has just been changed a little bit because of uh, having to do two Ironman races a few weeks apart. So we're going, we're just going to see. Was that just because you, was that because you didn't finish in Karen's? So you want to, because you're already trained for an Ironman. Right. My fitness is there and, you know, we, we had a choice of either going back to training and, getting ready for something in maybe late July or August or just using this fitness that I had. Basically, my body identified or that that race is a training session. Right. So using that, you know, trying to recover from the heat aspects, trying to recover from the travel, and trying to use that to just kind of lead into another race. So that's that's our that's our philosophy. That's um, a great strategy though. I mean it's it's like you're not it's like you're you're getting back out there as soon as you can, which is inspiring. Yeah, yeah, and great. Well, just you know, you, you gotta strike when the even if the iron's not hot, if the iron's you know pretty warm. Yeah. <laughs> Go. <laughs> so, what's your typical recovery from that kind of situation? Like, what are you doing now to kind of recover from? Because it was still a big race. I mean to kind of be able to go back out there and, and do almost the same distance a week out, two weeks out? The biggest thing is we wanted to make sure that my brain was okay, to be honest. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's twofold. It's making sure that afterwards I, I hit my head when I went down, so we were a little concerned, you know, tracking, making sure I didn't have any concussion symptoms. Right. And then, you know, making sure that whatever heat damage that was done and trying to make sure that I'm not trying to force it by coming back too soon. And then there's the obvious, you know, there's the stressor of of, uh, the travel. So spending over 30 hours traveling home, you know, that's hard on your body. You're crossing different time zones. So we we gave it basically half a week uh, pretty easy and then went into some 
more endurance, less effort-based training for a few days. And mm-hmm. my body's my body's responded well, and I feel motivated. You know, I have you know, concussion symptoms. It's just trying to make sure that you're not forcing it because that's when that's when things can go kind of awry. So yeah, we we feel pretty confident that I'm I'm ready to go. I have uh, a week and a half until the race, so it's just right now it's doing a little polishing, and then we'll we'll rest me up um, so that I can uh, try to put together a good race next week. I'm excited for you. It sounds like you have a great coach. Who is your coach right now? Uh, my my coach is a German coach named Dan Lorang, and uh, yeah, he's great. He's, he's very scientific, which I love. Um, yes. And it's it's definitely a collaborative effort at this point. I think what's it's great about being a more experienced athlete is you really you understand your body well. Uh, you you go into things with a bit more humility. So you know if things aren't going well, then it's it's okay, and you're you're more able to adapt and adjust. I think if you're a less experienced athlete then you're less willing to do that. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I see him, you know, twice a year just at races. And the rest of the time, he puts a training plan up. I do it. I'll send him maybe a text message once every couple of weeks. Pretty low-key. I mean, you've been doing this for so long that after you, you're training for races for so long, you don't have to have as much communication. Yeah, exactly. Well, because I think of it, less experienced of an athlete you are you need to almost be taught all these things and right. a lot of that is just being taught how to trust your body how to interpret different signals how you know what there's the whole skills component and we're talking skills as what you're doing actively and then skills outside of sport whether it's you know the the psychological aspect or understanding equipment i mean there's there's so much to a sport like triathlon and you know, at this point, it's really it's really easy because our my relationship with my coach is pretty much data, and you know he he doesn't need to be with me that much. Um, he doesn't need to be my cheerleader or my you know my psychologist or any of these things. My nutritionist, he just needs to interpret the data and give me feedback accordingly, and it it just. It's such an evolution of, of these relationships that we have and develop over time. You know, as, when I started off as a triathlete, I really did need somebody to teach me all of these things where it, it was, would have been a very full-on job. And now it's, it's pretty pared down to uh, the basics, just yeah. nailing those. Is that your philosophy? Is that how you train, like based on heart rate or is it based on feel or both? Yes, we, we really don't use heart rate much unless oh, okay. we're in extreme conditions. I won't look at my heart rate at all during training. I will look at it during an Ironman if it seems, because I know roughly the ranges that I'm capable of sustaining for a long period of time. So uh, during this race, I, I noticed while I was riding that my heart rate was down. 10 beats higher than I would have predicted at that, that, that power, um, which to me was, you know, an automatic sign that, all right, Sarah, you're having a hard time with this heat. You have to moderate your effort accordingly. And, you know, I, I went into the run with the same awareness that, all right, well, it's, 
I know what range is possible for me and that if I get above that, it's really hard for me to get back down. But otherwise, I never look at heart rate. Um, so what kind of data so do you guys look at? We look at, we, we do pace on mm-hmm. the run. Okay. And power and uh, power and cadence on the bike. Power is great. There's no equivalent for running, unfortunately, yet. I know they're developing the technology, um, but it's not quite there yet. And you do a lot of indoor training on your bike. So talk to me about that, because I know that's like a major asset to be able to have that and do that for for racing. Oh, yeah. Let me me tell you, when I first started, the indoor bike trainers were, they would just burn up your tire. It was boring. Um, you would just would be sitting in the basement wanting to cry. Mm-hmm. And now, even on a beautiful... So today, it's like 72 degrees and sunny, and I still rode indoors. It's incredibly efficient. You can get a session done any time of day. It can be dark out. It's just... It's so amazing to me, the technology. It's fun. It, um, I, I, I'm sponsored by Wahoo. They have this entire ecosystem of, of products, but you know, it's just direct drive bike trainer. So it's it's not the, the kind that burns up your tire. Right. It feels, I have that like, kind. It feel, yeah. It, feel, it feels like riding on the road. Yes. And let me tell you, if you had one of the old ones, it's, it's night and day. It's so much more enjoyable. It yeah. actually feels like riding on the road. And then, you know, you get the, you can get, um, on Zwift, I love Zwift. You know, it's basically like a video game for riding your bike. And, then, you know, as the terrain changes, so it it's reflected on the effort on the bike. And then they also have this, it's called the climbers. As there's elevation gain, you know, you're climbing up a hill in this video game, essentially. Right. I love it. It, yeah. starts lifting, it starts lifting the front end of your bike. So it's like you're climbing up a hill. Oh, my I God. Mean, it, it's, and that's on the incredible. Wahoo trainer, right? The Wahoo kicker. Yeah, but it's it's all. I mean, with technology, like it's all integrated with Bluetooth. And it used to be that I would be in the basement, hating life, you know, on my terrible trainer, in the middle of winter because I can't ride outside. Right. And now, it's especially if I go to a new place, I will. I love it if I'm going to a city. I try to. I try to find you know a trainer because it's just safety wise. A hundred percent. You can't beat it. But then it's also just pure efficiency. So I'm not, you know, you go to a city, you're stopping at lights. Uh, you're not getting a lot of quality in. Right. You can get an hour and a half of just pure quality. You're, you're controlling all the variables. It's just you do need to ride outside because I, I do find that there are quite a few traffic who They do struggle to, to handle their bikes. Right. And... You know, that's also a safety issue. They struggle to be able to adapt to, you know, if they're crosswinds and things. So you definitely need to be outside to learn how to ride outside. But if you're busy, like most athletes are, I mean, the number of people I've met who are balancing, you know, their careers with family and trying to squeeze in training, if you can do things efficiently and effectively indoors, it's a game changer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... You know, being in New York, it's, you know, for us to, I live downtown, so we have to ride up yeah. over the GW just to get, or we can go to Central Park, but that's, you know, to get real hills and 
to be able to go for like 20, 30 miles in one direction. You know, for me, it's like a 50 mile out and back to the state line. And but the first hour of that is like completely inefficient. I'm going so slow. I'm dodging dogs, people, (laughs) potholes, the West Side Highway. And then you, you know, you finally get over the bridge and you can ride, but you're already only 12 miles or whatever in and you've gone, it's like an hour because it's just, you can't get up any speed. So, and to get to Central Park during the week training, there's no cars in the park anymore, which is a wonderful thing. However, it's not wonderful because if you're a cyclist, there's, you know, you can get pulled over if you're going a certain speed, if you're going too fast. And so it's just made the whole, Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes, I think oh, it's 25 goodness. miles an hour. You know, you can't go very fast in the park. I mean, I'm not going that fast, but other athletes are. And it's not fun anymore for people to be in the park because it's just a very technical mind game in, in a way. So you really, being indoors, I do really, I also like my trainer, but I have a compu trainer. I mean, I bought it on try and sell it. It was like the best $600 I ever spent because... Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just was, I didn't think I'd ever like it. And I got it probably like six or seven years ago. And it's just been a game changer for me to be able to train on my bike indoors. I can just, I save so much time. It's so much more efficient. I love it. You know, I know a lot of athletes don't. And then I have some friends that never go outside. I went out on a ride with someone the other day and his bike was perfect. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> He's like, I never take it out except for races. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, it was great. So do you also feel the same way about the treadmill or uh, are you just for, I, the, for the bike? No, I, I, I will use the treadmill. I think it's a great tool. Um, I just haven't been able to wrap my head around it in the same way. Right. It's, and I think part of that is just, I'll be honest, it's kind of dark. In our basement, the right. ventilation's not great. Right. Um, right. You live in New Hampshire, right? So I'm like, what? You yeah, we, no studio? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I live in New Hampshire. It's really easy to run out the door. Yes. We, we use it. We definitely use it as a tool, especially like you were saying for, for doing hills. You can you do incline practice and you don't have to run down the hill. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which is actually sometimes I think harder than running up the hill. <laughs> well, if it, you know, if, if we're doing... Because we'll do we'll do sets where, uh, say it's like five times eight minutes at incline. Right. For me to run back down that hill is going to be probably eight minutes. So by the time you get to the bottom of, of an actual hill, your your heart rate's low. You know whatever benefit you've gotten. Whereas you know you can manipulate it on the treadmill and you're you're doing two minutes in between, three minutes in between on the flat. And then you can just crank it back up. In real life, you couldn't do that unless I had maybe a bike at the top of the hill and I rode it down. Right. <laughs> but then how do you get it back up? <laughs> right, exactly. That's so funny. What's your go-to nutrition when you're racing? So I generally will do some calories on, on, in my bottles. And I, I'll mix it up. So I have, I, have different, I have different things I use. And then uh, I like blocks. So I like actually chewing something. It feels more satisfying than a gel. And the only the only kind of gel product on the the bike that I would use is uh, is maple syrup. And I just find I don't know for whatever reason I have yet to find a gel where my my stomach likes it. Okay. So I will do a traditional gel. And then um, 
on the run, I really like both maple syrup and there's a there's a company called SIS, so it's Science and Sport. They have these isotonic gels, and it's it's a lot more liquid. But then, but then as you get further into the race, I'll I drink a Coca Cola. These races, a lot of the time, it's what you kind of have to listen to your body and let it. I like having options because there are times it's like no, I just I don't want to be drinking anything right now to take in calories. I just want water. I just want to chew something. So I just, I just make sure that I have a little, it's it's more of a buffet. <laughs> I like the maple syrup. That's a good idea. It's great. Yeah, one of my friends from New Hampshire now lives He's a former world tour cyclist. And he just started wishing that he had maple syrup for cycling, for the cycling races. And met these, this maple syrup producer and partnered up with them and it's called untapped maple there are other companies that do it but uh you know he's a buddy of mine so i'll give him a little plug it's one of the the best discoveries i've had is plus when you're traveling and you have a little maple syrup packet it's so much better than whatever garbage you get at diner that's high fructose corn syrup you can just i'm a huge fan of any real food and real maple syrup and i actually used to fuel with honey on races as well yeah but it's see honey gets it's a too thick yeah it's, it's a little thick. too thick so yeah. you, it's like a texture thing yeah yeah do you ever take salt tablets i mean i feel like when it's hot i start taking them whether or not i need them and then i feel like i don't end up getting cramps or anything like in my calves or anything but. yeah i you know a lot of it is through intuition you learn some of this yeah so it's if you crave salt then you need salt I think people do sometimes get a little too aggressive with it. Yeah, that would probably be probably me don't, I'm paranoid. Yeah. yeah, you probably don't need quite as much as you think you need. But the the uh, the cheese, I go with, it's a margarita-flavored one, and it has extra sodium. So I think that helps a lot. But also, I will take salt with me, and it's more of a just try to pay attention to, if I feel like I need salt, really listen to that and take in salt. There's a great book called Roar by Dr. Stacey Sims. It's a sports and nutrition book for women. And one of the things that she really tries to impress upon is the importance of listening to your body with, with nutritional needs while, mm-hmm. while you're racing. Yeah, it's a terrific resource for many reasons, but, but that one alone is really important. Yeah, I think that I've my nutrition has been pretty good up until this year. I think just in general, a lot of the bars that I would, I would usually have a bar on the bike a lot of the bar companies have changed their formulations or they're not making them anymore. Like, like now they're all chocolate. You can't eat them. It's disgusting. And But I do because I'm, you know, I'd rather just, I would rather take like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the bike than like a yeah. mega bar. But just thinking, you know, just more, it's not so much when you do the smaller distance races, but it's more like, you know, for even for 70.3, I mean, you have to think about nutrition and I feel like I messed up my nutrition at Connecticut too because it got hot on the run. It was cold yeah. on the bike and it was just, you know, but it was an interesting lesson to learn. I think, you know, a lot of things came up that had not come up before for me as an athlete. So I was paying attention and inst- I was definitely beating myself up for a good five or six miles after you know, mile six. Oh, no. Yeah, I was just like, oh, my God, you should have trained for this. Or, you know, all these things were going through my mind. 
you know, like uh, all the normal things. Yeah, all the normal <laughs> things. And then, you know, it was so it was hot, right? But it was it, it was hot. It was hilly. Like every I don't even I'm sure that you've heard about this race. I mean, every 20 meters was a, a hill. It was like there was no recovery. It was just all uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. And at a certain point, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this. And I, that would never come into my mind. And I was like, yeah, you're finishing this. And like, you're not stopping. And then, you know, I have like this whole dialogue kept me busy for a good, like three or four miles. But I also like, I think I like messed up my nutrition. I don't know. I definitely, you know, I definitely think it opened my eyes to a couple of things that I've seen other athletes experience, but have not with nutrition and just, You know, now I definitely need to rethink, like, if there's any more races that I plan to do this summer. So I'm really asking you, I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, what, you know, what kind of nutrition I could put in my water bottles instead of eating a bar on the bike. And also, you know, I like your idea of of chewing, like, the the chews. And the maple syrup is is smart. I like that. So, like, how many hours a week are you training typically? Yeah, I'll, I'll train up to 30 hours a week. That's you know, just, you know. By, by the time you add showers and, you know, naps in there. And yeah, showers, time. naps, walking <laughs> to the bike, going outside to the run. I mean, you've got, like, that's like you've got to do, like, 50 minutes on each end. Totally. <laughs> I don't know where my time goes. <laughs> no, it's crazy. I mean, I believe that it, I'm sure you're super busy. I mean, like, the training alone. And is Ben training as much as well? No, as, as a runner, you can only run so many hours. Uh, <laughs> for, for him, well, you know, just your body can't handle that much. So he'll, he'll run most days twice a day. He puts in, you know, well over 100 miles a week. Um, so it's very tiring, but there's a lot more lounging time for him than there is for me. Just Do you guys ever train together? Very rarely. Our paces are way too different. And I think, I think it's good. I think it's good to have, you know, separate things. Yeah. <laughs> he, he would like for me to join him more frequently than I do. But yeah, I think at, at some point I will, when I'm done racing, um, I'll probably be on the bike as he because it's that's probably the most that's the most fair for both of us otherwise I just get mad that he's running too fast and right. he gets a little annoyed because I'm running too slowly <laughs> I feel like that's something that comes up with lots of couples that try to, to train together I've, I actually have experienced similar things with my partner we got into I got her into triathlon and now she doesn't train with me which you know it's fine yeah but I'm a, you know, we're different best. paces. It's yeah, it's best. for the best. Yes. <laughs> we were it's, like once going weird. on some hills on the bike and I was like yeah. giving her some advice and she's like, don't talk to me when I'm going up a hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's good is it's a shared interest. Yes. But that's, you, you know, you do it separately. Take the win. That seems to be the theme. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you've already I done your the right approach. <laughs> I mean, like, it took me like five years to wrap my head around that. But yeah, <laughs> this whole thing has been all about triathlon. And I'm sorry to my listeners yeah. that aren't doing triathlon, but I selfishly wanted to talk about triathlon for an hour. Well, I, I think some of this stuff is applicable to, to just even if you're a very casual exerciser. I mean, it's it's the mindset, right? It's yeah. 
it's having a focus, being dedicated, doing your workouts, doing your training, setting goals. Do you have any good advice for serious athletes that might also apply to a beginner or fitness enthusiast? The biggest thing that I have learned is just how important consistency is. And let me it's not sexy. You know, nobody gets focused on how many days in a row you can go without being injured. Um, but that is the most important thing you can do if you're an athlete, if you're even a casual exerciser. So, you know, the, the case, the classic example is the person who sets the New Year's goal of, you know, whatever fitness, uh, whatever fitness goal they might have on New Year's. And you go for the first week and you're sore and it's just kind of miserable and you realize maybe you bit off more than you can chew. And by the end of January, you're, you're just totally off track. I think we get so caught up on the, the end result that we forget that just doing things very gradually over a long period of time is going to net far more results than trying to go all in. And that is just what I wouldn't give to have really, really figured that out when I was younger is, you know, just you're so much better off at a slow simmer. <laughs> really, like, you, th- you think about if you're going to be cooking something like a stew, that's what you're going for with your body. If you right. want to stew things, you don't want to, like, boil, and that's when things start separating and going gross, and you don't get the nice flavor development. So you really just want to, like, try to think, you know, six months, a year, multiple years. It's hard to wrap your head around multiple years. But if you have, if you just start running or doing whatever, if you're thinking, if you're trying to approach it as a very long-term goal instead of, okay, by May, I need to lose X weight, which is just totally arbitrary, if it's, I am going to do some sort of exercise five days out of the week, you <laughs> know, and just sticking to that. I don't know. I, I just think we get too caught up in these big things that be, become so overwhelming instead of really focusing on just having these, these patterns that you really can just integrate into your life. Yeah, that sounds like a a metaphor for life, for triathlon, for getting fit, for anything, really. I mean, I think... Yeah, I think my superpower as an athlete is as long as I don't crash on my bike, I don't don't get injured. So I'm not a a super talented athlete. But what I am is incredibly healthy and consistent, and that's helped me just put layer upon layer of fitness. And that's made me really good. I think too many people get caught up in this idea of talent and just natural ability. And there was something you said just about consistent hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, not nearly not nearly as exciting or sexy as like the phenom who's great at something right away. But the vast majority of us are going to get better at something if we just plug away. I get that. I think I learned that from doing triathlon. And like no matter what you try, you have to honor the process of the consistency. Yeah. And it could be a struggle, especially as somebody's like a type A personality who like wants to get things done immediately and in this like, or somebody who's an overachiever or whatever, like anybody who just like yeah. really has like 
serious goals, right? You have to, like, there is a process and that it's, yeah, I love that philosophy. That's great. That's something I think, I don't know, when you do long distance, like long course racing, I think you start to feel that even more. (laughs) Totally. Because you, it's a long day out there. Yeah. You have to be really patient. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you're not, if you're not patient, then you're going to be miserable because you're going to have blown up and gone way too hard and just, you know, it's not going to be fun. I mean, yeah. And that's great (laughs) as someone who's kind of come from doing shorter distance, like from the Olympics, obviously, and then to 70.3s and now you're doing the full Ironman distance racing. I mean, was there an aha moment for you when you were like out there on the course where you're like, okay, wait, this is very different. Yeah, definitely. So my, my first Ironman, I got, I was about five hours in. So that's, you know, partway through the bike and realizing that I had never done, you know, I still had probably four hours left of exercise ahead of me. <laughs> four <laughs> hours left. And I'm just, oh, are you serious? I'm just over halfway and I've been out here for five hours. That's craziness <laughs> that's that would be something that went through my head I would lose it I think I would lose it yes you're like this is kind of boring <laughs> but then you just kind of bring it back to all right let's just focus on me again let's not get to how much I have left let's just focus on this present moment and forget about how much I have left to do. (laughs) This has been awesome. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode links in the show notes and of course sign up for our quarterly newsletter the download to get updates deals giveaways and information on future events for 2019 i want to hear from you email me marnie on the move one at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of if you have questions for our guests just reach out